Right, I don't know how the situation plays out in your life, in your family, but maybe you found yourself in this, the place where you're driving the car and the person next to you has the GPS, right? And you're going along 55 miles per hour and you're going through an intersection and all of a sudden they say, oh, turn here. And as the driver, you're like, I'm in the middle of the intersection. That was information I needed a little bit ago. So I guess I should just, you know, turn hard right, go through the McDonald's building. Our minivan is a V6 after all. So just stomp on the gas, launch yourself over the medium, cross two lanes of traffic and get back to the road that we're supposed to be on. Like that's the plan. That's what I'm supposed to do. You know, know, when you're driving the car, you want to know ahead of time what's next. And I, maybe you handle that situation better than I do. And just for your own information, I haven't driven through any McDonald's buildings or anything like that. But I do know that when I'm driving somewhere, I like to know as soon as I make the turn, what's the next turn? Because if I'm driving three hours away, eight hours away, 10 wasted minutes because I didn't know where to turn, I don't know, it just feels like an eternity. And I, I don't want to miss a step. I want to get where I'm going quickly. And our message today, as we have just crossed, and maybe you realize this, maybe you didn't, we just crossed the official, it's been three years since we launched Gulfside Church. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I'm so thankful for all that we've got to see God do. And as we enter into what's our fourth year, I want to make sure that our vision of what's next is clear. Because what happens is if we begin to do church and do life and lead our families in a way that lacks vision for where we're going, we're going to end up missing turns. We're going to end up circling around. We're going to end up somewhere that we did not intend on being. And so I want to make sure that we pay attention to what, what are the critical things, the critical turns that we need to make. Where does our focus need to be? And this is the verse that I'm going to start with is one that's probably familiar with you. Most of us, if we've heard it, we probably learned it in the King James Version. It's from Proverbs 29, 18. I'm actually going to read you this verse in three different translations so you can try to capture the whole sense of what this verse is teaching. And it's the the familiar verse, when there is no vision, the people perish. When there's no vision, the people perish. And it may not be that you instantly perish and die if there's no vision, but what, what it means is that who we are as a people will end up falling apart. And especially as it was in regards to the nation of Israel, uh, what they were told is, if you follow my ways, you will live in the land and be fruitful. But if you don't, I will expel you from the land. And and this vision that they needed to have of honoring God, it was part of them experiencing God's blessing. Within our own life, and especially with us as a church, When we lose our vision, we stop being who we are supposed to be. You've seen this play out in relationships around you in the world. There are so many people that they got married, and when they got married, it was because they were just crazy in love with each other. But years down the road, the vision of why they got together and why they stay together changed from, oh, we're just crazy in love to, well, we have kids, and so we need to maintain because we have children. And it's like there's this fundamental change of why they do what they do. So many people, they they get into a job because they're passionate about making a difference in that field. And then it slowly becomes about money, about status and position. And they lose the vision of why they entered that field in the first place. When we lose our vision, we lose a very personal, important, and intimate part of who we're supposed to be. There's part of us that, that begins to dissipate when we lose the vision for why we are doing 
what we're doing. Another way that Proverbs 2019 is translated, it says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Now, this is trying to unpack the part of this concept that, that is written in the Hebrew that says, when we're not hearing from God, when God's not showing us something new each day, there's, a, there's this current part of that word revelation. When we're not experiencing a fresh word from God, what ends up happening is the people, they cast off restraint. You've experienced this before in other, other areas. When you lose the vision for why I started the, the, this diet or this training routine, you lose the restraint you need to stay out of the food that you're not supposed to be eating. When, when, when we lose the picture of what we want to be, it erodes our self-discipline. Now listen, the same thing can happen in churches, and it happens in churches all the time, and you've seen it as church buildings have closed. People start off in the church, and they do it because they understand the message of the gospel, it's important, it's powerful, it transforms lives and eternities. But somewhere along the line, you know, they, they get busy in other things. They, you know, they start a preschool, they start a food outreach program, they, they start service things that consume all the time, and then all of a sudden the attention gets pulled away from sharing this important message of the gospel. And the gospel becomes a secondary thought, and the church becomes about all these programs, and then it dies from the inside out. And they lose vision for what they're supposed to be, which is an extension of this message of the gospel. Now listen, I'm not speaking bad about anything regarding preschools, regarding food programs, regarding service um, programs. All those are great, but they're not the main thing. They're not the main vision of the church. And within our lives, if we move away from the vision, we end up moving away from the person that we're supposed to be. One of the other ways Proverbs 29.18 is translated in the message paraphrase helps pull out some good concepts from it. It says, if the people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now this brings out that this concept that there is blessing, that there is peace that comes along with vision. When you attend to the vision for your life, when you attend to the purpose for your life, there is blessing, there is peace, there is contentment. And, and I want to just draw you in as we're, as we're beginning to get into this train of thought for this What's Next series. I, I want to make sure that you understand the biblical truth that when we're living the way that God has called us to live, that there is a greater sense of peace. There is a greater sense of joy and, and th- that peace and that joy will actually transcend the good and the bad times. It's like that peace that God provides is more powerful than is my bank account up or down. It's more powerful than what other people's opinions are of me. When we have that vision and that understanding of who God is and what I'm supposed to do with my life, the situations that often dragged us up or down no longer have power and control over our mind and our heart. But we have to choose to be passionate, to be purposeful about following the vision that God has for us. In Psalm 16, 11, in the NLT, it says it this way. It says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. This concept of the joy of his presence. I, I, want, I want to draw your attention to that concept because if our joy is rooted in circumstantial situations, We're just going to be tossed around by the waves. We're going to be tossed around by every difficulty, every person's opinion. But there is joy that is found in his presence and your relationship with him that is more powerful than any of those situations. 
but to experience that. Because I can say that, and it kind of sounds like preacher talk. It kind of sounds like, okay, that's what the pastor's supposed to say. But I want to make sure that you know that God's intention for you is that your relationship with him is stronger than the circumstances that you walk with through. Your relationship with him provides you joy and peace in a way that your life circumstances aren't going to take control of. But many of us, we may have been raised in the church, raised around the church, and so we know lots of things about God, but we miss out on really knowing him personally. We can quote you some facts. We can quote you some information. We could tell you that Jesus died on the cross, but it hasn't yet really become something that's personal to us, that directs our life, that controls our heart, that has lordship over our decision making. And today, we're going to get into the, the, the concept of knowing God. Gulfside Church, we, we describe our purpose with, with a statement that says, Gulfside Church exists to help people know God, find community, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And the very first one is first because it's foremost, because it's the closest thing to what the church has to do in whatever city it's in. We have to help people know God. And this isn't about knowing things about him, about knowing information about him. This is about knowing him personally in a way that says, my actions are changing because I know my heavenly father has a plan for my life. He has instructions on how to live my life and so I'm going to live for him. I'm not living be this way. I'm not going to church because of peer pressure from someone else. I'm not going because I'm getting dragged. I'm not changing the way that I'm living for any person. I'm changing it for an audience of one, my heavenly father. And, and so today, as we get into the message, we're going to be talking about what it means to know God. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians, he, he was writing to the church, and, and he's, he, he starts off almost in this ridiculous manner. He's writing a letter. He's not expecting any responses back to answer his question as he's asking them, but he, he enters into this chapter and he asks these questions. He, he's trying to prove a point to them as it's being read because the point is obvious. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Because the obvious answer that from the Apostle Paul's perspective and to the church that he's writing to, which is the elders of the church, the new believers in the church, he's asking the question, is there any encouragement in belonging to Christ? Because the obvious answer is yes. There should be encouragement. There should be this feeling that when I walk into church and in the gathering of the saints, that I know that because I'm in Christ, that I have the benefit of being an adopted child of God. I know that my heart is lifted up because I have been invited into the family by him. He's reminding them of this truth, that when you enter into the church and the gathering of God's people, you should feel encouraged. And he says, if there's any of that from belonging to Christ, he says, if there's any comfort of his love, and he reminds, this love that God has for us, it should be a source of comfort as we walk through anything that life has. Is there any fellowship in the Spirit? Is there any feeling of being together and moving in one direction, in one heartbeat, in one act of worship? He says, our hearts tender and compassionate. He's describing all of these things that a church should be and that we want a church to be. And he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. All of those descriptions that he says of, you know, is there any of this? And the answer is obviously yes, but I want, I want to just point out, there's many people who come through the church doors and they don't feel any of that experience. 
And part of it is because we sometimes, we might undervalue the important role that we play in someone else that just sits near us in the pews. Some of it is they, they won't put away the, the other things to just focus on God. Some of it's that. But everyone experiences church a little bit differently here. And one of the primary things that will determine how you experience church is how is your relationship with God? Do you know things about him or do you know him personally? Because when we're the most healthy, all of those things that Paul described, that's what we feel. Because we walk in church and someone may not have said hi to us, but our joy is not found in whether or not they addressed us. Our joy is found in, I'm coming in here to worship my heavenly father and I know he's pleased about that. And so that's all I'm thinking about. I come in here knowing that I have the ability to encourage other people and I'm not waiting for someone else to do something for me. I'm coming in here to help other people. And when I'm that healthy in my relationship with God, it changes the way that I experience all of the worship. When we sing songs and say, I raise my hands as high as I can raise them, I actually raise them as I'm singing it because I feel free and filled with joy and feel at peace with God. And some of us, we, we're just not feeling that right now. But the reason we're not feeling it is usually because we're not, there's something that we're not fully healthy in yet. And I'm fine. Like if you're, if you're passionately worshiping in a reflective manner where you, it might appear quiet to everyone else, but your heart is just singing to God, I'm okay with it. I don't have to see your worship for your worship to be authentic. But what I want to push you on is what's guiding the way that you worship. Are you having to be dragged in? Or, because, <laughs> or, or do you know God in a way that, that makes you want to come into worship? And I'm not talking about just coming here on Sunday. I'm talking about the way that you're here, the way that your attitude is. And this, this isn't a corrective thing. This is just a restatement of who we are as a church. We're a church that recognizes we are at different points in our walk and not everyone has to be the same, but I want you to know where I believe scripture calls us to be moving towards. You don't have to come in here and put on a face what Paul expects me to worship passionately. If you're in a tough spot, be there, but let someone else come around you and help you because there should be encouragement. There should be fellowship here. But I believe the thing that indicates how you worship is how you know God. And if all of this just feels like pain for you, I want to encourage you to do some self-evaluation about what does your relationship with God look like today? Because there should be encouragement here. There should be fellowship here. There should be one-mindedness. There should be joy. This should be one of the most refreshing places that you go. And I know it is for so many of you guys. But what happens is, if it feels like, oh, it's hard to go to church, that's, that's like a light going off in the dashboard of your car. Something's wrong. Don't keep driving like this. Get it, get it figured out. Begin to work. Because God has a vision for your life that, that I, I believe makes church a joy. It, church has a purpose. We have something to offer to people. If you've been hurting, I believe that you're in the right place because as you allow God to show you his vision for your life, you're going to experience healing and wholeness and joy in the way that he intended it to be experienced in your life. We have something to offer our, our city. The message of the gospel, it's one of those things that, that when we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, it may not seem like on the surface that making that decision and making that declaration will do much in your life, but God begins this work of transformation that I can't even, I mean, Scripture tries to describe it as moving from death to life. It tries to describe it as be the old creation ceasing and becoming a new creation. It tries to put all these words to it, but it can't really be 
explained in its fullness. It has to be experienced. When you make that decision in an authentic way, God begins something spiritual in your heart, in your life, that changes who you are as a person, not just what your eternal destination is. And as we've experienced the joy that flows out of that right relationship with God, when we know him as our heavenly father, we can't help but want that for other people. And so many churches forget that they have this to offer. They stop believing that that the lost would want anything to do with their church. And I am fully convinced that the message of the gospel is what our city is crying for, what they they need to hear. And I don't ever want to miss that. One of the people who who I learned a ton from, he's someone that I consider a mentor in in, in my life. I look to the way that he leads. He he writes books. I've been at conferences with him. I'm going to show you a picture of him. I got to talk with him for a bit. His name's Chris Hodges. He pastors a little church of about 40,000 people in Alabama. He's done a bit. He's written a few books. He's, He's an awesome guy. And So, first of all, in the church planter world, in the church pastor world, his words carry a lot of weight. Um, And he's like the most gentle, loving guy. Like, you you rarely get to hear a harsh word come out of his mouth. And you know with those people, when you do hear a harsh word come out of their mouth, it's so much fun to hear. Like, it's like, oh my goodness, Chris Hodges just said that to you. Um, A pastor was talking to him and, and said, our church really isn't focused on growing right now. We're just going to take care of the people that God's given us for this season, and we, we're, we're going to make our services longer and just do the things that we really like to do. And Chris Hodges is like the most loving guy ever, but like, and he, he said, as, as he retells this story, he said, I didn't really think about what I said, which is unfortunate, but he said, his immediate reaction to was, well, I hate that for the lost people in your town. And as a pastor who was laying out their vision of saying, well, we're just going to focus on our people. We're just going to take our people. The reality of heaven and hell, the reality of how the gospel changes someone's life right now. I mean, Chris didn't even have time to apply a filter. He just said, I hate that for the lost people in your town right now. And we're three years old as a church now, and I want to always protect our vision, the vision that I believe scripture lays out for the church, that we have something to offer the lost. We have something to offer those who feel far from God. And it is critically important that we continue to help people know God. Because they may not put the words down that way of saying, what I really need now is to to fix my relationship with God. A a lot of times it comes out, there's something wrong with my family and I don't know how to fix it. There's something wrong with my relationship with my spouse and I don't know how to fix it. Uh, I've, I've climbed the ladder all the way to the top at my work but all of a sudden it all feels empty. And they're all trying to ask, where am I supposed to turn? But they're asking for three turns down the road instead of the very first turn that they have to take, which is a turn towards God. Because if you want to fix any of those areas, if you want to be the best spouse or the best parent or the best employee or the best friend that you can be, you first got to make sure things are right between you and God. And God so loved you. God's heart is so turned towards you that he sent his son to pay the penalty for sin that you owed. His son died on the cross to pay that penalty and rose from the grave to show you, to prove that your sins have been dealt with and God has removed them as far as the east is from the west, forgiven completely. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, is what Romans 10 tells us. 
And so we, we keep this message of the gospel right up front. And, and this message of the gospel, this, this message of living for the vision that God has for your life, it's so crucial because wherever you are in your process of your faith, I believe you're called to know him more personally, more intimately, to know him better and better as you grow. In, the, in Ephesians, the apostle Paul was writing to the church, and this was a church that he says he was praying for constantly. We'll put this up on the screen as I read it. It's, and he said, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I'm going to stop there. This concept of growing in your knowledge of God, it's interesting the way that Scripture describes things at, at times because when we see in the Old Testament, when it says Adam knew Eve, the, the Hebrew equivalent to the Greek word that's used here, it's that same word. Like to, to know with this growing amount of in, intimacy, to, to know God in such a close manner. And, and whether you are a new believer, he's praying for the new believers, he's, he's praying for the elders of the church, and he's saying, I'm praying for all of you that you would know God more and more. And so, in this series, What's Next? One of the questions that I want you to be able to answer for yourself, I don't need to hear this from you, but I think you should be able to answer it. What's next for you in your faith? What is God calling you to do in this season? Now look, some of the things are big, huge things. Go start a business, go start a church, go start a huge adventure. Sometimes it's that. We, we were heavily impacted by a church that we were attending when we lived in Ohio, and one of the things that the pastor said from the stage, some of you, you're calling right now, you have young kids in the house, and, and mom, I know you want to save the world, and you want to volunteer in all the places of the church, but right now, your calling is to raise up those little ones. And your calling might be to focus on the home right now. Your calling might be to focus on your health right now. But I believe that spiritually, there's a calling that God has on you as well, and some of you guys, it's to start your relationship with God in a personal way, where it's no longer from an external force, but it's an internal decision that I am committing my heart and my mind and my life to you, God. Some of you guys, that's the starting point. And, and if you ask yourself, I'm not sure if I've ever started that, I, I'd, I'd compare it this way, man. Getting that point of your faith in your spiritual life started, I'd compare it to if you're married, we'll, we'll stay in the married room, to the first time that you fell in love with your spouse. Like, you may not remember many things from your relationship, but you'll, you can probably remember, if you're married, what it felt like before you knew if they liked you, and they would just walk by you kind of close in the room, and you kind of hold your breath. Like, just, ah, oh, there they are. That, that when, you're, when you're sitting near each other and your hands brushed by each other, and you're like, oh my gosh, are they about to try to hold my hand? Like that, that feeling, that, that the first time that you kissed your spouse, and it got real. This is, this is love. Like there, there, there's no denying that when you first fell in love with your spouse, you knew that your heart was in this. In the same way, I believe that when you first make a decision to follow God, there's a point where it becomes real, where, where it feels like, that first kiss, like I've decided and my life is going to be different now. There is an emotion that is attached to the logical decision that my life is going to shift directions. 
And what scripture says is when that gets real, when, when, you, when you confess, you really believe to the point where you would say it out loud that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart in the resurrection, then there's new life that occurs in you. And I want you to know, without a doubt, that you've made that decision. And if you question it, then man, I believe you can make it today. And for the rest of us in the room that have made that decision, sometimes we need the reminder of how it felt when we first started following God. Sometimes we need the reminder of that first love that we felt. God has had to remind churches before in the book of Revelations. He reminded them and said, you, you're not loving me the way that you first loved me. And so I just want to call back to your memory, the passion and the purpose, because we, we have to carry this message across because just the way that it changed our life, it continues to change lives in our city right now. We need to be growing in our knowledge of God so that we can continue after this purpose that he's called us to. We, we might know a lot of things about him, but we have to make sure that we don't ever miss knowing him personally because there's going to be so many people who do. In Matthew chapter 7, um, verse, at verse 21, Jesus is teaching and he gives this picture of judgment where he, he takes a crowd and he separates them. And, and there's people that he says, I know you, and there's people that he says, I never knew you. And from the group who he says, I never knew you, they actually, he, he says, they, they cry out and they say, didn't we perform many miracles in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And he, and he said, but I never knew you. you. You never did anything for the least of those around you. And when you didn't do it for them, it's as if you didn't do it for me. And I just, I never knew you. There's going to be people who performed the acts. They, they could fool any one of us. And as a pastor who, who cares about you, I don't want you to ever feel like you have to put on a mask and pretend or perform. But I want you to know for certain within yourself that I have decided, that I believe, that my faith is there. And so my life will look different. My decisions will look different. And don't allow any, any well, I've, I've messed up for so long. No, no, no. His grace has covered that. You were invited to be known. The disqualification isn't that they weren't, they, they weren't good enough. The, the disqualification is that they were never known personally. And so you have to personally, you have to decide, you have to make a decision. And, and I believe that it's so critically important because we have a job to do. When I, when I said the purpose statement of the church before, Gulfside Church exists to help people know God, find community, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Because we, we have this vision that we believe each one of us can make a difference and God has called us to make a difference. And I'm committed to that belief because I, that's what scripture teaches us. And band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm gonna begin to close this out. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Okay, don't, don't just let these words slide through. We're God's handiwork. He's put his hands on us. He has created us, created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. Catch this, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What's next for you? What's next for our church? We have work to do. We have a mission to accomplish. We have a vision to, that we have to see come to life in this city of the gospel continuing to move forward where people are invited to know God in a personal way, in a way that transforms lives. 
Because so many of us, we have been spending our life, spending our time, spending our energy chasing things that really don't matter. A couple years back here in Florida, um, there's a Greyhound track, and I'm not telling you this story because I was there or because I frequent Greyhound tracks. I think I've seen them on Looney Tunes more than anything else. I've never been on one before. Um, I know that Greyhounds are really cool dogs and nice dogs. I know no one rides the dogs like they ride horses at horse tracks, but when they race them, um, it, it's something else. There's actually, like I have a picture of it. There's a um, little rabbit that they put on a mechanical thing that goes around, and the, the dogs chase the rabbit. And that's what they're chasing as they, they run their race. One of the times here a couple of years back in Florida, the mechanism that holds the rabbit broke. And when it broke, the rabbit like broke as it hit the ground. And there's pieces of bunny, fake bunny, don't worry, fake bunny everywhere. And the dogs were running. And when, when that broke, the dogs didn't quite know what to do. One kind of just ran into the guardrail, broke a couple ribs. One kind of ran over to where the pieces of the bunny were laying and looked at it and just lay down. It's like, I guess I'll take a nap. Um, the other dogs first, you just kind of suddenly realized, oh, there's a crowd of people here and started barking at the people. And the thing that they were chasing, the thing that was causing them to run, they realized that it's, it's nothing. And, and their purpose and how they ran disappeared. And I'm going to tell you, one of the worst things that can happen for someone who is chasing fame and wealth and prestige, one of the worst things that can happen for them is for them to actually catch it. Because once they realize, I've poured all my life out, all my time out, I took all the time away from my family to get this, and it's worth nothing. It is nothing. It's one of the worst things that can happen to someone. And I want to tell you, you have been designed. You are God's handiwork. You have been designed to be in a close relationship with him. And you have been given a calling and a vision to make a difference here on earth. And you have a small window of time to do it. These days that he's given you right now, they matter right now. It doesn't matter what was behind. It doesn't matter what's five years from now. It matters right now. What are we doing? How are we living? What is the most important thing in your life? I want you to chase what matters. God, he has a purpose. And the first thing, the first thing that you got to know, the first turn you have to make to get your life in order is to know God in a personal way. And I'd love to help you with that. I'm going to pray in a minute. And if you're saying, I need, to, I need to get started. I need to begin my relationship. I'll pray and just pray along in your heart and God will hear you. And I believe he will start a spiritual work in your life, and I would love to talk with you more about that. If you're bold enough to come talk to me afterwards, feel free to call me, text me, email me. I want to walk through this with you. Because for us as a church, there is no greater joy than seeing someone, than helping someone know God. Because there's no better blessing this side of heaven or in the, the life to come than seeing someone know God. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we confess with our mouth that you are Lord. We have seen the evidence We've seen your teaching. We've seen what you're doing here still to this day. And we believe, we believe in your resurrection, not just because we have heard it, but because we have felt it, because we have seen the way that you transform lives and we've experienced how you transform our life. And so we pray for anyone who is taking that first step today. We once again confess you're a Lord and we believe in our heart that God, you raised him from the dead. And so we believe in you, Jesus. Make us a new creation. Forgive us our sins. Give us a fresh start and show us how we can make a difference in this world as we move forward. 
We thank you for a group of people who will encourage us and help us continue to surround us with people who will push us forward in our faith. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your great love. And we thank you for the opportunity to see this city impacted by the gospel. Continue to transform lives in Jesus' name.